This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. The Pentagon's secret UFO unit for the full two hours. My technical producer is Carlos Cagina. Uh, There is no live stream on my YouTube channel tonight. My live stream producer, Ryan, is off enjoying a little time at the cottage. However, the live stream returns next week. In December 2017, the New York Times published an article by Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keene, which uncovered a secret Pentagon program called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program which investigated reports of unidentified flying objects. It was run by a military intelligence official, Luis Elizondo, on the fifth floor of the Pentagon's Sea Ring, deep inside the building's maze. The Defense Department had never before acknowledged the existence of the program, which it said it shut down in 2012. Flash forward to July 23, 2020, and the Times published an important update from Blumenthal and Kane. Despite Pentagon statements that it disbanded a once covert program to investigate unidentified flying objects, the piece reads, the effort remains underway, renamed and tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence, where officials continue to study mystifying encounters between military pilots and unidentified aerial vehicles. Pentagon officials will not discuss the program, which is not classified, but deals with classified matters. While retired officials involved with the effort, including Harry Reid, the former Senate Majority Leader, hope the program will seek evidence of vehicles from other worlds. Its main focus is on discovering whether another nation, especially any potential adversary, is using breakout aviation technology that could threaten the United States. Senator Marco Rubio, the Florida Republican, who is the acting chairman of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, told a CBS affiliate in Miami this month that he was primarily concerned about reports of unidentified aircraft over American military bases and that it was in the government's interest to find out who was responsible. 
We're going to unpack this over the next two hours. Dr. Dr. Joseph Buckman, former member of the Citizens Hearing on Disclosure in Washington, D.C. back in 2013, will be here in hour two. Roswell UFO investigator Don Schmidt is standing by. And here for the duration, special co-host, good friend of the program, Victor Vigiani, executive director of Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network. Victor, how are you, my friend? Welcome. Just fine. And thank you very much for uh, enjoying this fascinating topic uh, tonight, Richard. This is going to be a real revelation to our listeners who are some who may be completely familiar with it, uh, partially familiar with it or not familiar with it at all it's a it's a real eye-opener and a benchmark in this whole in this whole ufo uap issue well i was going to ask you for a quick impression or two uh, on the latest new york times article from blumenthal and kane just if you had to use a couple of adjectives i mean you mentioned you you, you gave us some but just a, a little bit more on how you would describe your personal reaction to this article when it came out uh about a week ago well, it's it's a uh, it's kind of interesting that the way the waves are are sort of lapping at the shore here. Uh, I, I begin the whole narrative back, as you mentioned earlier, uh, in December of two thousand seventeen, and since then things have been uh, unfolding gradually, like a slow drip. And each one of these revelations uh, and I guess uh, I guess exposures, if you want to call it that, by the New York Times, is just another wave in how this information is coming out. And what it makes me kind of think about, Richard, is uh, the first word that comes to my mind is orchestration, and how the New York Times has chosen to take a, a really major role in this issue with uh, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal and, and Helen Cooper. And they have, I guess, their editorial board or ownership or uh, just editors in general have decided to jump in with both feet. And, uh, and I just look at that article that came out about a week ago as just another wave in this whole kind of um, process of, of uh, exposing things bit by bit in this slow drip orchestration that's going on and i think we might get into this tonight with don and and uh, and dr buckman but the way it's happening it seems to be not haphazard there seems to be some sort of rhyme and reason as to why and how they're doing this so that's my reaction to the whole to the whole idea behind what the new york times is doing somebody is at the uh is that the turnstile here uh, and, and carefully letting things out in a very, very specific and orchestrated manner? Uh, just in one point I, I want to mention before we welcome Don Schmidt aboard, and three things jumped out at me. One is uh, the most obvious. Is we were told it was shut down in 2012. I don't think anybody believed that, and now we have confirmation. Uh, number two, there seems to be um, – a hint here that they are or an admittance that we're they're not simply talking about Russian or Chinese technology, that they're leaving the door open to the possibility that this is off world technology. And number three, um, again, a hint that there is or more than a hint, perhaps when we get into Dr. Uh, Eric Davis, that that there is in the government's possession, materials from crashed UFOs in their possession. 
Did you want to respond to that, Victor? Three very good points. There's just no doubt about it at all. It's, it seems that uh, the, the things that you mentioned are all part of this whole orchestration. And the one thing that fascinates me about, uh, and the point that you brought up, is that they're afraid to use the E word. They're sort of dancing around the whole issue. They, they, they say, though, we don't know where they're from or what kind of technology is involved. But for some reason, the U.S. Navy and the Pentagon and other uh, factions that are releasing this information, they, they don't want to use the extraterrestrial word just yet. And if you look back far enough, even uh, w within the last 10 or 15 years, the admission of UFOs at all was not even present in any of the narratives that were coming out of the government at all. It just wasn't present. And then all of a sudden you get the, the terminology UFO mentioned, and then you get the term uh, UAP mentioned, uh, and then you get the, the idea that, well, they're just exotic technologies and we don't know where they're from. And they hint it might be China. They hint it might be some other, you know, uh, you know, foreign power. But they will not mention, they will not broach the issue of the extraterrestrial presence. And I think it's just a matter of time, uh, Richard, and I think Don will probably agree with me on this one, that they're going to use that word, <clears throat> excuse me, or at least hint at it, that these things, there's nothing, that, there's, no, there's no other alternative left but for them to concede that this stuff is off-world. All right, let's uh, welcome Don in. Don Schmidt is the former co-director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, where he served as director of special investigations for 10 years. Prior to that, he was a special investigator for the late Dr. J. J. Allen Hynek for the International UFO Reporter. Don graduated cum laude from Concordia University with a degree in liberal arts. He's the author of dozens of articles about UFOs, as well as the co-author of a number of best-selling books, uh, including UFO Crash at Roswell and The Truth About the UFO Crash at Roswell. Uh, presently, he's a contributing writer for UFO Magazine and on the board of directors for the International UFO Research Museum. Don Schmidt, welcome back. How are you, my friend? Richard and Victor, so good to be back with you both again. Uh, Don, let me ask the question that I, I, I put to Victor. Uh, your Give me a few initial impressions when you read the July 23rd article in the New York Times from Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Keene. Well, I, I, we were all certainly anxious for, you know, part two, for the follow-up from, you know, the December 17 article. And we, we've always known that they were sitting on the second part with the disclaimer that the Times was wanting to up the ante, that they felt that they needed more than just some Navy gun camera, you know, footage to release to the public. And that's why Victor's absolutely correct, this slow drip, that it's as though they are slowly preparing the public, slowly conditioning us to finally accept when they do insert the extraterrestrial word. And I believe that in upping the ante, for the first time, they're actually talking about crash retrieval. They're talking about actually recovered wreckage that they have attempted to reverse engineer. And that in itself may be a bit of a ploy, a continuation on the theme originating back in 1947, at the time of Roswell, in that if you still dangle that carrot that we may be dealing with something Russian or Chinese, 
Well, you take it one step above and you say, well, we have the genuine article and we are still making every effort to bring it into our own arsenal. We're, we're replicating the technology, so, you know, you better watch your, your P's and Q's, so to speak. So uh, it, 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 it appears to be all, to me, I, it comes across as a bit of international gamesmanship as well. Because the government, in, especially in the United States, does things, they, they release things, they, they put out a press releases mainly for effect. And it's not so much for the American people nowadays, it's more for the global audience. And I believe that's why this also is intended for the, you know, America's adversaries, just as much as the American people. Interesting. Now, the, the, the program, it seems to have been renamed from ATIP, the mm-hmm. Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Project, to Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force. What, yes. what do we take away from that name change? Well, the, the Air Force, specifically the Air Force, and, you know, for the fact that historically, you know, the United States Air Force had their three special UFO investigative, you know, projects, Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book, and even within those particular projects, they were shifting things around. They were, uh, Heineck talked to us, for example, that as a consultant to Blue Book, that the actual investigation, and most people, even in ufology, aren't aware of the fact that the 4602nd, I was just talking to Paul Heineck, his son, the other night about it, and that his dad would constantly mention the fact that it wasn't Blue Book at Wright-Patterson in Dayton, Ohio, but the 4602nd, which was the Air Intel Squadron, who was part of the Air Defense Command and that they had a specific mandate to recover crashed foreign aircraft as well as unknown aircraft. So as though this was the group already that was the part of the hunt, the actual recovery of physical evidence beyond Roswell. Because as, as Richard and, and Vicky, you both know, I, I still maintain it's a cover-up of ignorance, that they still can't find the on button. Uh, here we are 73 years later, and we're still launching rockets. We're still fly, flying jets and, you know, driving, you know, con- conventional internal combustion cars, that type of thing. So uh, there haven't been breakthroughs as, as we would like them to be up to, uh, to this point. But this, this idea of shifting things within respective military and even the Pentagon offices uh, there, there's nothing unusual about that. I think it's how they play the, play the shell game any time. Uh, and then they, it, it provides them also with plausible deniability that they can deny involvement with one project merely for the fact it's just it's been renamed and reassigned to uh, another department. All right, Victor, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just going to you know enhance what uh, what Don is saying. Uh, it's, it's like as soon as people you know anybody gets close to the to smelling the cheese, they change the name, and it it seems that there's a a concerted effort by uh, those who I guess are conflicted uh, within uh, the black budget programs. Uh, they 
I think we we can kind of assume that there are certain individuals within the Pentagon or within those who control the black budgets or wherever it might be, the government behind the government, there is a tacit implication that they do want this information out somehow in some way eventually. And as Don alluded to earlier, as soon as they can find the on button to all of this stuff and realize that, uh, no, this is not from other countries, then they go into the mode of um, the the full spectrum dominance of the, uh, the the project for a new American century, where they want to be. When I say they, the United States wants to be in control of everything that happens in a militaristic way on the planet. And I think they're going to play that same card with the UFO issue. As soon as they can find a way to implement some of these technologies, give them a name, throw them out into the public. And then eventually state that we've got control over everything in the same way that Paul Wolfowitz said, you know, full spectrum dominance with the, on, on the planet militarily as far as the United States is concerned. I, I think that's what's behind all that. They want to ensure the United States government wants to ensure that it still has control over all this off world stuff. Now, I'm not sure they can pull that off, but they just might be able to given you know, who, who's, who's in charge of things when things do get released either fully or, or partially. And I guess we're almost assuming that we'll never really know the answer to all the questions. It'll always just be a partial disclosure. Um, well, why do you, you, you couldn't be actually more accurate as far as not only the United States government uh, attempting to maintain control, but let me throw a couple of um, wrenches, so to speak into the mix in that I would I've long suggested that the one incident that already placed the United States in the driver's seat so to speak was Roswell that we had one we we covered as far as an actual crashed UFO back in 1947 and it's one of the reasons that and I've been to China I've been to Russia I've been to Japan you know uh, Australia and I always make it a point to talk to government officials. And one of the things that has always surprised me, whenever I hear of a foreign case, the first question I ask, were there American suits present? And when I hear, to the, as far as to the affirmative, I know it's a good case. And as a result, I'm, I'm like, uh, as far as the Westfall incident down in Australia, very famous incident in 1966 involving all those school children. Why were there American investigators present? Why were there Americans' suits questioning all the children at the time of the incident? Because we're in the driver's seat. Because we're controlling not only as far as the access of the data, but we're also uh, as far as controlling its release. And as a result, uh, and uh, and another, another monkey wrench in all this would be the fact whenever I'm asked, where, Don, where do you think the physical evidence presently is? If Roswell indeed did happen, if they actually have, as far as alien technology, in their possession, do they actually have it? Is it in the hands of the United States government? And I would say no. Well, then is it in the hands of the United States military? I say no. I'm of the position that it's within the United States corporate system. Yeah, precisely. Because everything that the government, as far as 
as far as needs, as far as its functioning, the military, every tank, every ship, every plane is contracted out into the private sector. And I know Colonel Philip Corso in the book The Day After Roswell talked about the assimilation. Well, we had already talked about that in our book UFO Crash at Roswell, Kevin Rand and myself, that we had leads even within the Pentagon that don't come to us. We don't have the stuff. We lost it years ago. We gave it all out with the hope that they would come back to us with breakthroughs, with uh, as far as successes, as far as uh, breaking the you know the extraterrestrial code, so to speak. And now it's gone. And when Victor, you made the comment that the 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 the, the new order within the military, they want this to come out. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I I've heard this now for decades because they're just screaming for disclosure because they feel they're flying around in the dark. And one of the main problems is also the fact that it, at least it's their belief that the old order has not passed it down to the new. That there's a, there was a cutoff, that much of that testing, much of the results, the early uh, potential breakthroughs that happened after Roswell, all at once were cut off. They ran into a brick wall, and they decided whether, and we know the, the story of the Robertson panel, and then the, 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 the failings of, uh, all the way through Project Blue Book, that they had no answers. It was a cover-up of ignorance. And so there is this barrier, this wall, this obstacle that all the new personnel in the Pentagon are now trying to play catch-up. They're going back in history and going, why weren't we told about this? How come we didn't know about this? How come we didn't know that this phenomenon has been here for all these decades? And just like Blue Book, when it was declassified, where were all the Navy reports? Army, Marine Corps. It's 99% Air Force. And yet we know the Navy was having actually more profound, you know, cases than the Air Force. Where are all those reports? Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, we've got to take a time out. We'll, uh, we'll come back and uh, delve further into uh, this latest New York Times article. Uh, this one, again, Leslie Kane and Robert Blumenthal, Ralph Blumenthal, rather, no longer in shadows. Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Don't go. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Victor Vigiani from Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network is with us, as well as Roswell investigator Donald R. Schmidt. Uh, the, um, the article from the New York Times says that retired officials involved with the effort, including Harry Reid, who was the former Senate Majority Leader, uh, hope the program will seek evidence of vehicles from other worlds. Its main focus is on discovering whether another nation, especially any potential adversary, is breaking, is using rather breakout aviation technology that could threaten the United States. But let's focus on that first point. Harry Reid and other officials involved hope the program will seek evidence of vehicles from other worlds. Uh, those other officials are not named. I'm guessing Luis Elizondo would be would be one. Uh, any idea who else inside the program is is hoping that they're going to they're going to look for evidence of vehicles from other worlds? Well, I would like to believe that certainly Dr. Eric Davis, 
Dr. Hal put off uh, Robert Bigelow, Bigelow Aerospace, those that have been, aside from Bigelow, who has been very silent on the situation ever since the 60, 60 Minutes interview on CBS uh, a number of years ago. But uh, the others have been very publicly vocal in, uh, in, in speaking out, and especially with the Unidentified show now on the History Channel, and their meetings in Italy and down in Brazil, as far as with the South American officials, again, demonstrating that they're trying to put together a global coalition of not only ufologists, but scientists who feel that the day of reckoning is at hand, that if the United States, and especially the Air Force, I'd like to believe that the Navy itself is finally fed up with the fact that the Air Force has speaking for them for all these years on a subject that they had just as many profound experiences involving their pilots and then their ships and uh, facilities around the world. And yet they have been kept in the dark all this time. I mean, we need to keep in mind that they were, they were briefing that the Department of Defense was briefing, you know, giving classified briefings to congressional committees on the subject for decades. And I can't believe they were just talking about the recent sightings. I mean, each meeting, each briefing had to, you know, you know elevate itself to the point that, okay, what are we doing about this? And I think these congressmen had to be constantly asking, at one point, are we going to be honest with the public? When are we going to disclose the reality of what we're dealing with here? Otherwise, they're just uh, they're, they're reverting back to what Blue Book and Grudgeon Sign did, you know, 50 years ago. And that was taking us nowhere. So I totally agree with both of you that and I think for the, because they have raised the ante by especially and specifically talking about crash retrievals, that they are acknowledging that they may actually have physical evidence in hand. So well, it's way to that, beyond to just the, lights in the sky. Right. And, to that point, to, to that point, Don, in, in, and uh, Victor, in a follow-up uh, piece... Uh, Ralph and uh, Leslie Kane wrote, uh, I guess it was the next day, do we believe in UFOs? That's the wrong question. Mm -hmm. And in that in that article, they talk about how they were provided a series of unclassified slides showing that the program uh, took this seriously enough to include it in numerous briefings. One slide says one of the program's tasks was to arrange for access to data, reports, materials, from crash retrievals or AAVs, uh, advanced aerospace vehicles, crash retrievals mentioned specifically. I'll get you, both of you to comment on that. Well, I, I think uh, to add a name to Don's list regarding people who want to see this, people in uh, in high places that want to see this stuff examined more closely. If you followed the CNN interview of of um, Deputy Secretary, former Deputy Secretary of Defense uh, Chris Mellon, 
He is very careful with his words, extremely uh, careful with the way he articulates uh, the to the stars position on on this whole thing. And he was asked a question exactly that, Richard, about, um, you know, foreign materials, for lack of a better term. Uh, or, or crashed vehicles. I don't think that was the word that was used. I think foreign materials. In any case, uh, he was very he was cagey enough to say, well, that line of thinking, that line of reason, reasoning is not something that we can disregard. We need to, it's, it's worth investigation. That's as far as he's going to go. And I think that that's the way this whole program, uh, sort of slow leak or slow drip, is, is progressing. No one wants to come out and say it. But implicitly, everything that Don just mentioned earlier, implicitly what they're saying when they say crashed vehicles from unknown places in the cosmos or however, however you want to put it, they're implicitly suggesting, and they're this far away from saying that it's extraterrestrial. Now, how much more evidence, how much more dialogue, how much more discourse, how many more leaks are we going to go through until someone says, okay, I give up, hands up, this this stuff is not of this earth. It's from off-world civilizations. And that's the next thing that I'm looking for. And I think part of what was going on uh, with uh, with the Wilson document that Richard Dolan uh, has been talking about uh, with uh, uh, Dr. Davis, this is all part of how the crashed retrieval uh, scenario is unfolding. And you can bet that people like Hal Putoff, and he was asked directly uh, by, by Richard Dolan, what about this crash retrieval stuff? And Hal Putoff wrote back, he said, we can't comment on stuff like that with the U.S. government programs, which they've been so open, and then all of a sudden Hal Putoff says, well, we really can't comment on it. So they're skirting the issue Yet they're forcing it forward. And it, it's sort of a, a very complex a scenario that's happening. It's like a push and pull, almost like a tug of war among these people that are trying to get this information out. But they just don't know how to do it properly at this point. I think that's the point that I'd like to make. I don't know if they can do it properly. I don't know what your comments yeah, are on that yeah, one, but that, that's the way I feel. totally correct, Victor, in that uh, there's no handbook. There, there's nothing in their playbook. Right. I think that's one of the reasons in going back to 1947, that they decided as quickly as they did that they needed room, they needed time to make such a decision. So the best thing they could do is come up with a counter story and hope that the press slash public would buy it, would accept it. And as a result, it's provided them with, you know, 73 years to come up with, you know, such a program just for disclosure. And I think the biggest problem, the biggest obstacle is just the chain of command, the fact that, that this gets passed down as far as from department to department and individual to individual. And as a result, there is no consistency. There, has been, there have been so many carrots that have been dangled. And going all the way back to Dr. Heineck, I think back to how often he would be you know, rushed out of his home during the middle of the night and down to WGN down in Chicago, you know, their big superstation, that there was going to be some eminent release from Washington, that uh, they were on standby, that they were placed on alert, that something was forthcoming. And every, each and every time the rug would be pulled out, and nothing, nothing. So, but this is different, because they can't very well at this point claim, well, 
we've recovered Chinese wreckage. We've recovered Russian wreckage. Well, my God, foreign technology at Wright Pad has been recovering Russian MiGs for decades. Nothing new here. They have so upped the ante, I don't see how the fact that for the first time, and I, I, I say this to your entire audience, this is the first time they have actually suggested that they have technology from off the planet in their possession. First time. Never been as far as announced in, to any degree in the past. Well, well, further to that, we mentioned the AAVs. And I go back again to the Blumenthal uh, Keen uh, follow-up to their, their July 23rd article uh, titled, Do We Believe in UFOs? That's the wrong question. And they write, our sources told us that, quote, AAVs do not refer to vehicles made in any country, not Russian or Chinese, mm -hmm. but is used to mean technology in the realm of the truly unexplained. They also assure us that their briefings are based on facts, not belief. As you both know, we have, since our initial investigation of Roswell, we have referred to the crash as the recovery of a craft of unknown origin. We don't even go so far as to declare it extraterrestrial. Craft of unknown origin. And Luis Elizondo, and I'd like to believe that uh, he's, he's flattering us by just a, a little bit of a, a change of wording of that description, but he uses the terminology object of undetermined origin. So nonetheless, we're talking about something that crashed here from off the planet. And All as right, a we've result... I mean, I believe, and I think you both would agree with me, that uh, we may be on the precipice. We may be at, uh, at the brink. And we ourselves have to be prepared because there is only a handful of people within the media that even understand and comprehend what we're talking about. All right, we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, expand further on this uh, remarkable revelation. Right here on The Conspiracy Show, Victor Vigiani, Don Schmidt, stay with us. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Victor Vigiani, Zeland News Network, Zeland Communications, and Don Schmidt, Roswell investigator, best-selling author. Uh, as we continue to unpack this uh, mind-blowing, really, uh, New York Times article, July 23rd, 2020, Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal. And uh, this is a, a, the much-anticipated, uh, um, long-awaited follow-up to their December 2017 article in the New York Times in which the secret Pentagon UFO program was first revealed. And then now in this article, they're saying what many of us, most of us probably uh, long suspected, the program didn't stop in 2012 
It seems like they kicked it upstairs to the Office of Naval Intelligence. They gave it a new name. Uh, and then they continued on uh, per usual. So uh, let me throw it over to Victor Vigiani for a question. Well, I think what we're at a point now in the discussion, I think it's important to to make the leap from uh, the, the 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 Blumenthal and, and Kane article and the implications of it and, and move into how this information is becoming public. And by public, I mean that in, in two strains. And if you just bear with me here, uh, what I think is really significant is that uh, the the bubble of the UFO research community uh, is, is one thing. We when we talk about this, we can we can pretty well summarize things. We all kind of know what we're talking about when we talk about UAP and you know the government disclosure and all the tentacles to the UFO ET issue. That's something that we can talk about very very easily. There's really not a, a big problem. We all understand what we're talking about. However, there is a constituency out there that a does has no idea what's really going on or they may have heard the term ufo they may have heard all of that before but don't know exactly what it's all about that is beginning to change and it's changed now because of the intelligence authorization act for the fiscal year 2021 and mark uh, marco rubio uh, a, a senator has come up uh, with this whole and his committee on the intelligence, the Select Committee of, on Intelligence in the in the, in the Senate, uh, has come up with this this act, which they do every year. It's an expenditure sort of uh, process. But in the act, he mentions directly that the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence is demanding, requesting, not just just requesting, but demanding information about reports on UAP. He's got that language in the act. And that in and of itself is an absolute game buster for that kind of language to appear in an official legislative document that will be passed because it has to be passed one way or another uh, by, by the Senate. That to, to me and to a lot of people within this whole UFO uh, community, that is the sealing of the deal, the imprimatur that's given the government permission and everybody else within the government to talk about this stuff openly because it's now in legislation. And all of the intelligence committees have been required to report within 180 days after this thing is passed on data about unidentified flying objects or UAP, whatever you want to call them. Now, I don't know how Don would react to that statement about <laughs> exactly how I feel about it, but I think that's the next game changer here to allow this to get into the legislative branch of the government. It could be. It could be. Except I'm being a little bit more cautiously guarded in that at the present, no one except uh, Senator Rubio is on the record for support of the measure. And so then the concern is, will there even be a report prepared? Will we ever hear or see the report? And because of the whole COVID situation, that everything is moving at such a snail's pace, presently in Washington, that they're not meeting the way they normally would, and they're not in contact as they, they should be. Uh, they would they'd be required to have, you know, more hearings during this particular period of time. And uh, that Senator Rubio, he chose a very efficient way to proceed, but it has potential pitfalls. And let's just hope that... Uh, he'll, he'll seek out guidance 
and he'll get as far as uh, answers from appropriate people how to proceed on this, because we all know, and we've all had experiences, especially, and we all remember certainly the citizens' hearing in 2013. And I love the fact that uh, one of the people we uh, we, we spent a good amount of time speaking with was a reporter from the Times, from the New York Times. And then, there, I mean, right after, he wrote up a very supportive article on the, on, the, on the hearings. So, in many ways, I like to believe that that, as much as we were disappointed that it didn't receive all the publicity, the press attention it should have, that it sparked something, especially within those former senators and congresspeople who we testified before, and the fact that they stayed interested in the subject thereafter. And so I'm hoping that they're even talking to former colleagues. Should we proceed? Should we go ahead with this? Because too often in the past, and as I've met, you know, with senators and congressmen, in the past, with all types of assurances and promises, and then nothing happened. So, Rubio, because he's gone public on this, he's going to have to present as far as a, a final report. And I just hope he gets uh -huh. others to, to uh, as far as go on the record in support of the measure. All right, we uh, we are up against a break here. We'll um, speaking of the citizens hearing, we will be hearing from a member in the second hour when Dr. Joseph Buckman uh, joins us. And uh, the other thing that Rubio mentioned that I thought was interesting is that this is why this is of serious concern. And that is uh, he, he just came out and he said it because these unidentified objects are flying over military bases. Uh, so now we have the national security issue at play here. Uh, we will uh, we'll be back in a moment with more. Stay with us. PIN numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. All right, uh, Victor and Don, let me get your reaction to this. And again, I'm, I'll crib from the uh, New York Times article, July 23rd, 2020, no longer in shadows, Pentagon's UFO unit will make some findings public. Mr. Reed, the former Democratic senator from Nevada who pushed for funding the earlier UFO program when he was the majority leader, said he believed that crashes of objects of unknown origin may have occurred and that retrieve material should be studied. After looking into this, he said, I came to the conclusion that there were reports, some were substantive, some not so substantive, that there were actual materials from the government and the private sector had in their possession, Mr. Reed said in an interview. Let me get you to both weigh in on that. Go ahead, Don. Well, you, you, you note that... Um, in all of these discussions, they continue to talk about wreckage. 
they have yet to suggest that we have an intact, you know, ship, for example, a UFO. They keep talking about wreckage. They keep talking about debris. They talk about having, you know, uh, physical material that's been uh, tested. And as a result, the one case that I hearken back to, and I'm sorry that we talk about a tremendous amount of debris, of wreckage, would be Roswell. And so... It, it, it just, you know, the, the coincidence, the, the timing in all of this, and the, the suggestion that, well, some of this is serendipitous, it's coincidence that people are just talking about this because there's not much else to distract us from the whole COVID-19 predicament, that type of thing. But let's also keep in mind, politics aside, that when Donald Trump Jr. brought Roswell up, in his interview for the Father's Day. And his father didn't just laugh and wave it off as well. The, you know, the Air Force says that's nothing more than a, a balloon, you know, a, a weather balloon, Project Mogul, that type of thing. And he became very serious and suggested that, you know, thousands of people are constantly, you know, asking him that question, specifically about Roswell, and that uh, all these people that go to Roswell, New Mexico, because something very strange happened there. And then questioned whether he would release anything regarding the incident, and he said he'd have to think about it. Well, there's some there there. I guess that's what we always come back to. There is something to disclose. There's, there's, there's after now all these years, there's something that they haven't told us before. Otherwise, they still wouldn't be searching for answers. Victor? Yeah, I, I, it's really something, Don, that you should mention that because it, it, it always loops back to Roswell, doesn't it? Or, or other kinds of crashes, but specifically Roswell and, and whatever those materials were and whatever materials were obtained by other crashes. So it, it does loop back to Roswell all of the time. And expanding on that kind of information, whether or not the United States has debris that's off-world or has gone so far as to, to uh, develop the technology uh, regarding uh, how these things work, or at least being able to understand a little bit about it, or even develop a craft that acts similar to some of these UAP. I mean, that to me is, 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 is the crunch issue here. Do we have that technology and is it workable? And I, I've got to go back to Rubio here for a second because I think this fellow, he's he's playing his cards very cagey, like, like a lot of the other people. But in a legislative d domain, what I think he's doing, he's, he wants to come out now and be on the right side of history because he knows or senses what's going on or someone has told him what's going on. So he's come out doing what he's done, the interview that he, that he actually did. Uh, uh, said these things are flying over our military bases, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This fellow kind of knows what's going on. He's been told something, and he wants to get out there ahead of the curve and be on the right side of history so that when other legislators come up and say, and ask him or the committee, how long has this been going on and why don't I know about it? And that all he can do is say, well, you know what? I told you so. And then we go from there because the legislators will have to backtrack to things like what Don just mentioned. They're going to have to go back to Roswell and rethink that whole issue. So what's really happening here is when things began in 2017 to come out in the way they did and then going back to the uh, initiation of the, of the money 
the $22 million that uh, you know, Reid absconded with from the Senate to, to have this program started. This all comes into the whole mix. And eventually when people, the legislators, get to see what's really gone on, I mean, the, the, the farmland has already been sown. The seeds are in the ground and the, and the plants are coming to germination and they're, they're growing very, very quickly. And someone's going to pick up on it. And I think Rubio has done that in, one, in, in a very important way. And um, you just said, you may- Victor, and as I alluded to before, that the best thing that Rubio can do for himself is not play this politically, because too often they rely on consultation with uh, their colleagues within mm-hmm. the legislature, and uh, they get nothing but political advice. Best thing that Rubio, right. and you're, you're, you're absolutely correct, uh, Victor, is to talk to people in the know. Get briefed on this subject as, as extensively as you can, and make an educated decision that, as you say, that he will be on the right side for all of history. You mentioned uh, Eric Davis earlier, and uh, we should point out that he he worked as a subcontractor for this Pentagon UFO program since 2007. And uh, he said that in some cases, examination of the materials had so far failed to determine their source and led him to conclude we can't we couldn't make it ourselves. Uh, and then uh, Davis, who, who now works for Aerospace Corporation, this is a defense contractor, he said he gave a classified briefing to a defense department agency as recently as March about retrievals from, quote, off-world vehicles mm. not made on this earth. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Quick comment from both of you on that. Well, it's and the fact that he's also, you know, suggesting that the technology is beyond our comprehension. We, we talk about just the human arrogance, again, the idea that we would ever acquire something that may be so advanced, light years ahead of us, and that we immediately can get in the, you know, get in the driver's seat like Will Smith in Independence Day and fly that thing. Or, in, or comprehend or understand as far as the molecular composition of this material, and that it could take us decades, it could take us hundreds of years to get to that point. But nonetheless, we still have it in our possession, and it's not ours. But how do you break that to the public? How do you finally announce the fact, we know they're there, they've been coming here, we have one, but we don't know where they're from, what they are, what their intentions are, but vote for me come next election, you know, that type of thing. Uh, Victor? Yeah, no, I think, I think Don's correct on that point. Uh, I'd like to make another point about the, the, the Wilson and um, uh, Dr. Davis situation and the way this information come out uh, or has come out in the past. Um, and, and the origins of this document that, uh, that Eric Davis got during his briefing of... of, of, um, of uh, I guess it's the Vice Admiral Wilson. The way it came out, the source, as far as I know, the people that I've spoken to uh, about the way this thing came out, all goes back to Dr. Edgar Mitchell. And finding these pieces of information, not not pieces of, of craft, pieces of information about what these craft might have been representing, the, the, the materials that they might have been representing. And... Uh, Dr. Mitchell, in forwarding this information uh, to people in the know, 
he is very central to all of this. And I think that's going to be important when we eventually get to the point of the discussion or the narrative within the, the legislatures of an astronaut of the stature of Dr. Edgar Mitchell uh, comes out that information comes out and that lends a credibility to uh, the National Institute of Discovery Science that uh, the Dr. Dr. Mitchell founded. So that's all going to backtrack again, very similar to Roswell in the fact that they're going to have to go back in history in, our, in order to understand exactly why and how this information came out. And that's going to lend a, a great amount of credibility to the way uh, this is all unfolding. And I'm, I'm convinced that, uh, that that's the way the legislators are going to have to see this thing through that lens of the, of the Mitchell experience and, and uh, through Davis and Wilson. All right. And when we come back on the other side... We, we will drill down a little bit on on for those not in the know what that Wilson, uh, Vice Admiral yeah. Wilson document yeah. was all about, which involved Dr. Davis. Uh, in the meantime, we thank uh, Don R. Schmidt for dropping by once again, and uh, well, the website RoswellInvestigator.com. And as Victor just describing, as far as Edgar Mitchell, we've come right back to Roswell because he was a staunch proponent, advocate of Roswell. He stated without a doubt that it really happened. In fact, he, he lived there. He was there at the time of the incident when this all went down. If I may just quickly, uh, former CIA director Alan Dulles, he was really very notorious, but he, he bragged, he used to talk about, and I quote him, if you want to keep a secret, then pretend to share it, end quote. Let's uh -huh. hope that well, that's, that's not what's happening right excellent. now. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent point. Is, is All right. Great way to put thing. a uh, a great way to put a ribbon on this hour. Thank you again, Don. My pleasure. Look forward to doing it again. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Victor stays with us. Back on the other side with Dr. Joseph Buckman. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, the Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Uh, this hour, we continue to discuss UFO disclosure and the most recent New York Times article dated July 23, 2020, from Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane, the article titled, No Longer in Shadows, Pentagon's UFO Unit Will Make Some Findings Public, which describes the once covert program now tucked inside the Office of Naval Intelligence, which has discussed mysterious events in classified briefings. Uh, longtime Canadian ufologist Victor Vigiani, executive director of Zeland Communications and Zeland News Network, stays with us. And uh, also joining this hour is uh, Dr. Joseph Buckman, who holds a Ph.D. from the Indiana University Media School and a master's in finance from Purdue. After earning tenure, he left traditional higher education to develop online MBA finance courses for the University of Chicago's UNEXT program and pursue his dreams of adventure travel. Uh, and uh, his lifelong interest in cosmology nucleogenesis and the possibility of extraterrestrial life led him to serve with six former members of the United States Congress on the 2013 citizen hearing on disclosure in Washington, D.C. 
His research has been published in a wide variety of college textbooks and presented to the American Psychological Association, the National Association of Broadcasters, TEDx at Burning Man, the Roswell UFO Festival, the Society for Scientific Exploration, Freedom Fest, the Sonoma International Film Festival, the Sundance Film Festival, and the SETI Institute's Contact Cultures of the Imagination Conference in Mountain View, California. Joseph Buckman, welcome aboard. How are you? It's good to be here. I'm I'm a little bored hearing my whole resume, uh, but uh, other than that, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should not be bored. You should be you should be proud. Oh, well, uh, that was a lot of fun. As was being on uh, with you about three years ago when I was running for Congress. It's good to be back with you, Richard. That's right. On coast to coast, you were running yeah. as the Libertarian candidate. I was had a great time. And um, let me get your. Uh, we just shared an hour with Donald R. Schmidt. Let me cover some of the same territory with you, and uh, and that is just to get your initial reaction to the July 23rd article from Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane, uh, this long-anticipated follow-up to their December 2017 landmark article. My reaction was, um, I don't have to be embarrassed anymore. Um and I felt that a few times. It was Andrew Siddons who wrote the article on May third, twenty thirteen, about the um, uh, citizens hearing. That I'm looking for the headline for that was um, "Visitors from Outer Space, Real or Not," are the focus of discussion in Washington. Um, and I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago um, in a conversation that Victor was a part of that, in my view, that was that was the tipping point. I think historians will look back on. Uh, when did we begin? Um, and I, I like to call it the redisclosure process. I mean, disclosure happened in the Roswell Daily Record in 1947. Um, they reported we had flying saucers. Uh, and then it was quickly buried. Uh, but we're in the process of rediscovering that kind of a headline. Um, and I think that happened on May 3rd. But that was the, that was the second article the New York Times had written about the citizens hearing. The first one was uh, full of ridicule and dismissive and continued their previous policy of never taking the UFO subject seriously. This was the first time they took it seriously, so that was an important one. And you had 2016, where they reported on uh, Hillary Clinton uh, responding uh, to questions, mostly from the Conway Daily Sun. Uh, every candidate who goes through Conway, New Hampshire, uh, for the last uh, couple of decades has been asked about UFOs by that um, print media. And so they um, mentioned her appearance on Jimmy Kimmel and that she had talked about unidentified aerial phenomenon being the new term. And then they called me and I was quoted saying, hey, if Hillary Clinton is calling it unidentified aerial phenomenon, that means she's been briefed. Everybody else calls it a UFO still. So that was 2016. And then the, the, the December 2017 article uh, by Leslie Keene and Ralph Blumenthal was, you know, the, uh, the next major step where I thought, wow, you know, I'm, maybe my kids, uh, maybe I'll live long enough that my kids will go, dad was right about this. And then this this most recent article, including the one that, that followed up the very next day, where they said, do we believe in UFOs? That's the wrong question. That was on July uh, 20, uh, July 28th. Uh, they came back with a follow-up. It's not a matter of belief. You know, being asked if you believe in UFOs, that takes us into the field of religion. Uh, faith and belief are uh, conclusions uh, based on uh, 
having no evidence. That's the very definition of, of uh, faith or belief. The more accurate question that, that people are starting to ask is, do you find any of the evidence credible? Well, look at those videos from the Nimitz and listen to the audio of the pilots. That's pretty credible. Uh, either that or we have some very highly trained aviators flying the best stuff that we know about who've uh, become rather uh, unhinged. Um, the other tipping point that I felt that reminds me uh, of this article was uh, 2018. I was present in Las Vegas at the Society for Scientific Exploration Conference where Dr. Hal Putoff uh, gave an amazing presentation. Um, he received a, a a lifetime award for his work with the International Remote Viewing Association. He helped found that, and with UFOs. And uh, he said, um, some of you may wonder why uh, I'm being given this award for uh, UFOs or UAPs. I've published nothing about that. And I'm going to quote him. I've got it right in front of me here. He said, uh, I've not published anything about uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Why? Because the program I was involved in, in the Pentagon and in the intelligence community, had been top secret, behind the scenes. Only recently has there been a release of information about the program, so this is the first chance I've had to actually appear before the public and speak about the details of the program. Wow. And then he went on to discuss metamaterials, and uh, that most metamaterials are highly classified, but uh, he described his research in trying to analyze some materials that were recovered that were bismuth magnesium layering uh, in the public domain. Uh, went to every national lab, went to every asset the United States government has for metamaterials research. Nobody admitted creating this bismuth magnesium layer. Nobody reported knowing why anybody would even want to do that. And our cutting-edge national asset laboratories could not recreate the material, alleged to have been recovered from a crashed alien craft. That was his presentation there in Las Vegas in 2018. I don't know what to say now. I was one of the presenters there, and we had all signed non-disclosure agreements and, uh, you know, regarding uh, the presentations we were making at the Society for Scientific Exploration, and there were signs up saying no audio video recording. Uh, and I went back to the audio guy at the back of the room because I used to be that guy, right? I had worked in radio um, in high school and through college. And mm -hmm. I said, hey, I'm, I'm writing an article um, about Hal's presentation. I want to be sure I get the quote exactly right because uh, they were recording audio and video for later sale by the, S the SSE to, to you know make money and maybe not every presentation was going to be made available for sale later, and I wasn't sure whether Hal's would. I said, but could you send me that audio, and, and that way I can be sure I get the quote right. And the guy sent me the whole day's worth uh, that evening in the middle of the night. And so I typed up a transcript of, of Hal's remarks, and Steve Bassett published it on his website. And for a while, I was going to, afraid I was going to get in trouble. But I actually sent the transcript um, through Com Kelleher to Hal, and he thanked me for it. So I thought, okay, I, I guess I'm okay. And I checked with the people who put on the conference, and, and they said, yeah, that's not the kind of thing we're concerned about. But I felt his remarks were so important uh, 
regarding the metamaterials and that he was in a classified program involving UFOs that it deserved to be shared. So then we get up to Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenthal. The big change there for me, and it's something Victor said in the first hour, which I was listening to, the audience of people inside the UFO bubble listen to this stuff very differently than the audience outside. So my brother-in-law worked with the Hubble Space Telescope. He's a science writer. He has an endowed chair at the University of Tennessee. He thinks I'm a total nutcase. The uh, universe is too big. There's no way anybody could get here. All the people reporting UFOs are psychopaths. Joe, give it up. And I know he reads the New York Times every day. <laughs> so to answer your question, having gone through all that background, um, I'm waiting to hear from my brother-in-law, Mark. I hope a couple of more things hit where it becomes unavoidable that um, you know Roswell happened uh, ETs have been engaged with humanity for all of our recorded history. Uh, a lot of religion was the misinterpretation of extraterrestrial engagement with people on Earth. I think that's all highly likely. Uh, and that we've been attempting to reverse engineer recovered technology. And I think Don's probably right. They haven't even found the on switch yet. And nobody wants to say, we spent $5 trillion and we've gotten nowhere. Uh, you mentioned how put off and... Um I wanted to come back to Eric Davis, who's mentioned in the the latest uh, Blumenthal Keen article. And again, the quote here um, regarding retrievals. And this is a briefing, a classified briefing to a Defense Department agency back in March. He talked about retrievals from, quote, off-world vehicles not made on this earth. Off-world vehicles not made on this earth. This is a classified briefing to a Defense Department agency. Uh, I mean, to me, that's the crux of the entire article right there. Never mind, you know, Harry Reid saying, well, it might be. We're not sure. It's not, you know, we can't substantiate it. Uh, that's it in a nutshell. Wouldn't you agree, Victor? Yeah, I, I do agree with you, um, uh, Richard, on that whole. It's the it's the pivotal point about um, the the long-term and even the immediate implications of what this whole UFO ET issue is all about. It's all about technology. And uh, you can you, we can talk about things like, well, we're not alone in the cosmos. Okay, that's fine. Um, the, the whole consciousness issue, you know, the, the whole connectivity of all particles of matter in the universe and all of that stuff. But when it comes right down to it, uh, the... What we're confronted with is a sea change of technology once this stuff um, gets exposed and gets really kind of fixed up to the point where we can actually work it if it isn't already being done and we just don't know about it. I'm, I'm totally convinced that it's all about technology. I mean, we can talk about uh, extraterrestrials, as, as I mentioned, and I think, uh, you know, as, as, uh, as Joseph mentioned earlier, that uh, Hal Putoff, in a very circuitous way, uh, mentions things like, you know, metamaterials and so on and so forth. Chris Mellon talks about those kinds of things, too. And they always talk, or as I mentioned to Don and earlier, that they're always talking around the point and not using the E word, the extraterrestrial word. And I'm, I'm just wondering why. And I, I would ask you, Dr. Buckman, why are people so afraid to come out and commit 
Is there something holding them back? Or is it, is it a, a non-disclosure agreement? Uh, they just can't say it? Or <laughs> what's what's going on there? I just I literally do not understand why they can cons- they can come so close to the cloth and then not say that e word. Well, I, I think you answered your own question. I, I had of. A good friend um, who became chief medical officer of NASA. Uh, we were friends in scouting uh, through the 1970s. He became a physician and then a pilot for the Air Force and wanted to fly on orbit on a space shuttle. Uh, but the Challenger exploded, uh, took him out of the queue, and he wound up serving as chief medical officer for NASA in Houston. I visited him shortly before the John Glenn flight. Um, and, you know, he asked me what I wanted to do. I said, well, I want to go, you know, see the moon rocks. He said, yeah, I can't get you in that room. I said, well, let's go to a simulator and practice landings at the Cape. And he said, well, I could do that, but I'd probably get in trouble. Is there anything else you'd like to do? I said, well, I'd like to sit in the flight surgeon's chair in mission control. So he said, that's no problem. So we, he badged me through one of the two mirrored mission controls. Um, they had two identical current ones. Uh, it wasn't the restored original uh, Apollo one. Um, but uh, we sat there talking, and outside of that uh, mission control room was a standard government bullet board, and they had a weekly world news article, Bill Clinton greets space alien. And we kind of laughed about it. And I said, well, Roger, uh, it's not like we have flying saucers shadowing our shuttles on orbit. And he just stopped talking, and he said... Uh, Look, uh, before I answer that question, I have three questions for you. And I said, what? He said, do you think I've ever lied to you? And I said, um, no. I mean, we're both Eagle Scouts, and I don't think you've ever lied. So do you think there's anything anybody could pressure me uh, in a way that would cause me to lie to others? And I said, no, Roger. I mean, I think you take life on Earth as kind of a testing ground. I knew he's a, kind of a fundamentalist Christian, and there's the rewards in a life to come by being honest with others? No, I don't think there's anything anybody could do to force you to lie. And he said, well, my third question is, where do you want to go to lunch? And I said, well, I want to go to that place in the right stuff, that Chinese place where they all, he said, oh, that, that place is terrible. It's shut down. I'll take you somewhere where we might see an astronaut having lunch. And we didn't. But over lunch, he said, look, um, don't ever ask me about that again. You got to understand to get this kind of job, you have to sign certain little pieces of paper. And as much as I might like to talk about some things, even with my own wife. If I were to do so, I'd go to a place worse than Leavenworth. She would lose the healthcare benefits, the pension. And so uh, don't ask me about that again. So I, I think that these non-disclosure agreements that people in the uh, military contractors, or I, I think Don was right in the previous hour, the, the corporate gatekeepers that have taken charge of this issue to get it out from under any threat of the Freedom of Information Act or whatever. I think those legal contracts are pretty freaky frightening. So back in 2008, when I ran for Congress uh, the first time, and then again in 2017, the main part of my platform was we need the United States Congress to pass whistleblower protection. Reporting a crime by our government should never be a crime. Um, we need to have uh, protection for waste and fraud and criminal activity and the ET issue. And then after we've protected whistleblowers, eliminate all the NDA restrictions about anything re- involving waste or fraud or criminal activity or ETs. And then let's hold open hearings. I think that's the path to cure what is the disease in America that's that's 
corrupting uh, our our institutions. And um, I think the TV ratings for those kind of hearings would be huge. <laughs> um, and I'd like my friend Roger to be freed to talk about it. I had another friend who passed away a year ago, um, August 5th, just in a couple of days. A real American hero, a guy who served in Vietnam. He was second in command at Fort Bliss. He was there when Columbia landed that one time. Eventually became chief briefing officer for the Joint Chiefs. And when I asked him about UFOs, his answer was almost identical to my friend Roger. Can't talk about it. And not only can't talk about it, but got very, very emotional. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Victor, I think you answered your own question. I think, I think these people are afraid of going to a place worse than Leavenworth. Why that's a secret, I don't know. So at the SSE meeting, after Hal's... Uh, Dr. Putoff's presentation, I went up to him and I said, Dr. Putoff, and he kind of knew me. He, he had talked about the citizens hearing and how impressed he was with Bob Salas and UFOs and news. And I said to him, Dr. Putoff, if, if you don't have to tell me what the secret is, but tell me, I'm, I'm a libertarian. I believe in minimal government and total transparency. But if I were to be fully read into this program and understand what the reasons are that it's been kept secret. Do you think I would agree with them? Even coming from that place, is the, is the reason so powerful that I would say, yeah, we've got to keep the secret from the bulk of humanity? And he kind of looked at the carpet, and then he looked up at me and said, well, Joe, I just don't think the reasons are as um, powerful, I think was the word. I can't remember exactly, but I don't think the reasons are as powerful as the gatekeepers seem to think they are. I'm like, gatekeepers? Who are the gatekeepers? You know? <laughs> uh, but I didn't ask that question. I was just sort of stunned. Um, I don't think the reasons are as powerful or as strong as, as, as the gatekeepers think they are. But apparently there's, you know, some secret about why it might be in our best interest to keep it secret. And I've, I've thought about that for years. And the best I can come up with is maybe the ETs look at us like we look at a caterpillar and a chrysalis. And, you know, if you help the caterpillar out of the chrysalis state, um, it'll die. It needs to struggle out of the cocoon to develop the strength in its wings to be able to fly as a butterfly. And maybe there's ETs out there looking at the people on Earth saying, yeah, if we try to help them, they're never going to grow up. They're never going to stop being violent. We got to let them sit in their own dirty nest for a while longer um, and see if they can work their way out of it. All right, uh, Dr. Buckman, uh, stay put. Victor, you do the same. We'll come back on the other side and uh, continue to discuss disclosure and uh, the latest New York Times article on the secret Pentagon UFO unit. The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Dr. Joseph Buckman, Victor Vigiani stays with us. Uh, gentlemen, I want to ask you, uh, getting back to the New York Times article, and uh, the idea that this program didn't stop in 2012, it, it is continued, and uh, there were many of us uh, who, you know, who believed 
that it stopped in 2012. Luis Elizondo said as much. Um, and yet, though, we, 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 we know very little about this group's, let's say, post-2017 operations. We have the Tic Tac video from the Nimitz in 2004. Uh, that's, that's 15, 16 years ago. Uh, you know, when can we expect, might we expect to see more, more gun camera video, uh, you know, more startling uh, Navy pilot encounters with, with these, uh, these objects? Well, I just in, in terms of, of other information, Richard, uh, I I cannot believe that uh, there are not other kinds of uh, pieces of information, be they uh, you know pilot briefing records, be they gun camera uh, videos that have yet to be released. There has to be a whole wealth of information that has been, um, I guess, compiled by that program. I don't think we've we've seen a, a tenth of what is possibly there. And I, there, I have every reason to believe that eventually, if the waves keep on hitting the shore as they have been over the past, uh, you know, since 2017, uh, we are bound to find out more about these things because the lubrication of this issue has been set in stone as far as I'm concerned. We are, we are being prepared in a way that it's, it's almost like those uh, w- within the UFO community have been sort of prepared for all of this. And we think, oh, well, yes, that's just a natural outgrowth of what we know. And the other side of that coin is how that information will be interpreted by the general public, by the media, and and by all of the other uh, players in the in the in the global theater that's very interested in this. Those that are very hostile and skeptical about this information will, I think, uh, be rendered almost helpless in the face of what is yet to come. Uh, at least that's my take on it. Yeah, Dr. Buckman, I'll go back to um, what Dr. Putoff. Uh, said during that same presentation in Las Vegas at the Society for Scientific Exploration. He said, quote, We now have three high-quality F-18 videotapes of unidentified aerial phenomenon encounters. Previously languishing, languishing in the Pentagon servers, nobody doing that much with them. These are still being generated. One of the tapes is from 2016 off the east coast of the United States. There are a lot more tapes. Hopefully we will get a lot more of them posted. So I went up to him um, a different time than the one I just told you about with the gatekeeper comment. And I said, hey, what's on the other tapes? And, you know, why aren't they all being released? Well, you say there's a lot more of them. And he said, well, actually, they show a video that's very similar uh, to the three that have been released, but they're kind of hung up because of um, metadata about the locations uh, where they were shot, um, some of which is not apparently what they want to release publicly. So I assume maybe we were in foreign airspace or maybe we we're at altitudes that are classified or, or whatever. But now it's been, you know, uh, two years and, and, a, and a couple of months since he uh, made those comments about a lot more tapes. And we use the word tapes. It's not tapes. He mentions they're on Pentagon service servers. This is all digitized video that, that probably never saw any kind of analog media at all. And I would assume even it's, it's downloaded onto those servers, you know, as the pilots are flying even, um, maybe in addition to be recorded um, somewhere in the electronics of the, of the plane itself. So, yeah, where are those? And, you know, what? why are they still stuck? I think what happened was 
somebody at the Pentagon goofed, uh, and maybe they took advantage of knowing that that somebody was goofing, and they get some of the stuff out, and then I suspect the Pentagon pulled it back, uh, and I, I suspect they wish they hadn't let go of, of what these guys apparently got legitimately, but but maybe not by uh, you know by double checking or bringing a lot of attention to what they were doing legitimately. So, uh, Luis Elizondo seems to think that uh, you know now that they are no longer hiding in the shadows, as he puts it, there will be new transparency. Uh, but how do we know there will be new transparency? And and uh, I mean, unless we start to see these. Uh, additional video, video uh, tape or testimony or documentation. How will we know they're being transparent? I think what's exciting is uh, how Hal began his uh, presentation was, I was part of a classified program, but information has now been released, and so I'm free to talk. I doubt anybody at the Pentagon called him up and said, hey, you're free to talk now, right? And so there's, there's other patriots, if you want. This is, a, by the way, Don and Tom Carey, right about how heavy a burden this is for our public servants, the honorable people in the United States military who have been ordered to keep this secret. It is a heavy burden. I know my friend would have loved to have told his wife, both of them, for example. Uh, And so when they start seeing examples of people uh, talking about things that maybe they think they shouldn't talk about, and having no ill consequence occur, you might start seeing more Eric Davises and Hal Putoffs and uh, Chris Mellons and and others uh, begin to to feel that and hey, it's safe here. It's like the chicken and egg problem, you know. Nobody wants to be first. Um, and then I, at some point, that floodgate will open, and and we'll get a, a ton of testimony. The the other thing I'd say is it's not just about this New York Times article, like that happened on X date. Um, now print media have websites; public are invited to comment on the articles on those websites. So I would encourage people who are interested in the New York Times article, yeah, go read the article. But then find the comment section on the Times, and you'll find that Ralph Blumenthal has been answering questions from readers. Um, and I, I just uh, saw where Leslie Keene posted earlier tonight that Ralph was interviewed on a Toronto radio station, I, I guess one of your competitors, uh, 1010, uh, earlier today uh, in a 10-minute interview. And so uh, uh, the, the story is not a, 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 a static thing anymore. It's a living, breathing thing. And I would, as somebody who got a PhD from the media school, <laughs> if I learned anything uh, at all, I'd suspect there's dozens to hundreds of other media outlets that don't want the New York Times to get the next scoop. They want to get to it before the Times. So now there's who knows how many reporters out there and other resources from other media that are like, we got to get this out before the Times does their third big article. Victor, over to you. Yeah, I, I think that uh, when you mentioned uh, the radio station 1010, uh, I, I know it well enough to to say that if, um, if Radio 1010 is interested in this, just by the nature of its uh, conservative base, uh, you can be well assured that they are in the race to find out exactly um, how how um, how important this issue is. Uh, 
earlier this week, they did have another uh, spot on the UFO issue. So when radio stations like that uh, and even more conservative uh, newspapers and media outlets begin to pick up all of this information and sort of shed the the skepticism and and deal with the hostility that some people are dealing with uh, with regard to this issue, uh, the more it becomes uh, an easier task to present people information that's a little bit beyond the curve so uh, we're sort of in a in a bit of a bind here we don't we don't go and talk to the public just yet about uh let's say for example the eric davis uh information with respect to it to uh vice admiral wilson we, we don't we don't lead with that it's, it's like in, in, in a card game, you might not lead you with your strength right away. We've got to go back to more basic information so the public can really understand and come to grips as to what the history of this issue is all about and how it's evolved over the years. And good journalism, I think, will play a good role in that. I don't know what your comment would be on that, uh, uh, Joseph. I absolutely agree. Um, I just pulled it up. It was three hours ago. Leslie wrote, Ralph... Blumenthal, my partner for the New York Times reporting, did a short interview on News Talk 1010 in Toronto today, and then she links to the to the audio that you can play back if you have any kind of internet connection or cell phone access or whatever. And here's Ralph still talking about it. And then yesterday, it was Chris Mellon on CNN, um, basically, uh-huh. you know. And 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 here you got Chris Mellon, uh, you know formerly of defense intelligence, talking about President Trump's comments about Roswell. I never thought I'd live to see this kind of thing happening. I, I thought maybe my grandkids will realize that granddad wasn't a UFO nut. Um, but to have a former guy from the Pentagon who was in defense intelligence on CNN talking about the president's comments about whether he should declassify information about Roswell or not, uh, we're in a different world than we were a year ago. Is, would you would you imagine uh, just just for a second? You you mentioned uh, uh, Captain Bob Salas earlier. Yes. Um, and and the information that uh, that he and the other launch commanders have signed uh, affidavits on in terms of uh, the nuclear missile shutdown incidents, and in, I believe it was uh, 1965 and, and onwards. Um, there's a lot of talk about what happened, you know, in the Nimitz and the Roosevelt and, and the Tic Tac videos and everything and, and the whole issue of national security. I mean, that's all fine and good. And, uh, you know, that's going to propel this whole issue forward in a way that we've never seen before. But talk to us uh, for a moment about when the general public gets the, I'll use the word truthful, or, or the, the, the accurate information about UFOs coming down, hovering over missile silos, and shutting down a dozen of them, knowing full well that the United States can be considered as virtually helpless against any of these vehicles, if you want to extend that whole logical argument with respect to national security. I mean, that's got to be a game-breaker. Dr. Buckman, I'll get you to uh, hold off, and we'll answer that on the other side. And... Uh Victor, you stay put as well. The Conspiracy Show will continue right after this. My name is Richard Serrett. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. All right, before the break, uh, Victor, you had asked Dr. Buckman about... uh, UFOs over U.S. nuke sites, and uh, Senator Rubio sort of alluded to this in uh, 
in saying that he, he was telling a CBS affiliate in Miami this month, he was primarily concerned about reports of unidentified aircraft over American military bases. Now, I'm not sure if he's going back as far as 1965 or 67, uh, you know, when, when Bob Salas was writing about these incidents, but, but uh, it, it's clearly uh, or clear that Rubio is saying, okay, folks, this is now a national security issue. So, uh, Dr. Buckman, uh, please weigh in. I find it comforting that there might be some highly advanced, technologically capable life that's out there that's really interested in shutting down all our nukes, um, uh, at least the nuclear missiles. Um, uh, Victor asked what I thought the the um, bulk of humanity would would do or how it would change once it becomes incontrovertible that we're not alone in the cosmos and that some kind of technologically superior um, uh, uh, beings are, are here and, and maybe have been here for a while. It, it, I think that the, the model for that is what happened with the Copernican revolution. You know, most of human history, we imagined that uh, there was the earth and above the earth was the heavens. And below the earth was a place that we called Hades or hell. And depending on how you lived on earth, you either got to float up into heaven and be with your creator. Or if you didn't uh, do well, then you went uh, into Hades. At least that was the, you know, the Western culture's kind of view of things. But you saw similar views in, in other Native American and other traditions where there was the sky above and the earth below. And we were the center of everything. And everything rotated around us. And you had these weird things that looked like stars that did these perturbations where they did little loops in the sky. And there was efforts to sort of explain how that could be happening. But what made a lot more sense was that the Earth, along with the other planets, were all orbiting the sun. And that was a very humbling um, moment for humanity, especially for our religious leaders that thought, you know, God created life on this one spot. The idea of some sort of uh, life throughout the, the cosmos was... Uh, was ridiculed uh, then, but perhaps less so when we realized we weren't really the center of everything. I think it would be an extraordinarily humbling moment to realize that uh, that we're kind of the primitives who've who've just been uh, struggling to reach a point of maybe being invited to to join a greater community of of beings throughout the cosmos, and that we're just uh, the new kids on the block. Uh, we're the least advanced perhaps, of those that might be getting that kind of party invitation. And I think that kind of humility would be a good thing. Um, hubris on Earth is giving us wars over natural resources, over arbitrary boundaries that define nation states, and, and we really ought to uh, grow up and uh, unite as people who look at spaceship Earth as perhaps a little more fragile than we do, and as a planet to be uh, cared for, uh, that we're borrowing from our grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, and it doesn't really belong to us. And I'm hoping that, um, you know, that that's the kind of philosophical change that will occur. It also motivates me to run for office as a libertarian, because the libertarian political philosophy is one that I find in alignment with that. When I went to Steve Bassett's X conferences beginning in 2008, one of the things I said there was, look, I'm utterly confident that the only Democrats and the only Republicans in the entire cosmos are on this one backward planet. There's no Democrats or Republicans out there. 
But the core of libertarian political philosophy is natural law. Natural law says you don't have the right to initiate aggression against others, and you have the right of self-ownership of your own physical body. Nobody can make you a slave. Um, there's no right to that anyway. Um, and that you don't have the right to initiate violence. And I said, if, if they're here, they got access to pretty incredible technology that could have been used to blow each other up. The fact that they're here means they didn't do that. Carl Sagan, by the way, made the same kind of argument back in the 70s for funding SETI. It'll tell us about our future. So if they're here and they haven't used aggression, uh, then the universe is teeming with libertarians. The only place there's a <laughs> lack of them is on this one planet. Um, and I really believe that. It's part joke, but it's part of, of really what motivates me. I'd like to see a far more peaceful planet Earth. I'd like to see a place where we really care for each other and we don't tank things that don't belong to us and and we reward productivity and innovation and 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 the right uh, to keep the fruits of one's productive activity and and encourage charity and we don't let anyone starve or go harmless i, I think once earth looked like that the ets would feel a lot better about dropping by R right now like stan friedman used to say if you imagined a benevolent uh, benign to benevolent uh, extraterrestrial writing a junior high school report about planet Earth, you know, primary activity, destroying each other, primary economic activity, developing ever more effective ways to destroy each other. Um, I don't think an ET wants to drop by planet Earth any more than I want to go to, uh, you know, to Portland, Oregon last week um, and be in the middle of that fight or Aleppo or Baghdad. I don't, you know, Right, I, I, there's right. places on Earth I don't want to travel to. I think Earth is is that dark corner that maybe the ETs would like us to calm down a bit before they feel like coming over for tea. All right, we'll uh, take one final time out, come back with Dr. Joseph Buckman, Victor Vigiani, and um, maybe your calls, time permitting. The Conspiracy Show, my name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Dr. Buckman, in your estimation, uh, how far now or, or how close are we to some sort of official disclosure? Has, has articles, have articles like uh, this most recent one, have they moved the needle? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the other reason it's hard to prophesy how far we are from disclosure is the aliens could do it anytime they want. Uh, if indeed they're here, um, show up. And, and I think maybe they tried to in, in July of 1950, 1952, 1954. When was the big Washington flap? Was 52, the, I believe. 52, yeah. I think. You know, when I went through the National Archives, uh, when I was in Washington, D.C., maybe um, after the Citizens Hearing in 2013, I actually purchased, and I have it framed here in my office, uh, the newspaper headlines. Of, they have the picture of the discs around the Capitol building for sale in the National Archives. Is that a joke? Is that it? Um, so I don't know. I, I, um, I know um, um, my friend Steve Bassett is is concerned that perhaps uh, in an effort seeing that he may not get reelected, Donald Trump might uh, try to reveal whatever he's been briefed on. I doubt it's everything. Could come up in a debate. I saw where Bryce Zavel was writing an open letter to Joe Biden, encouraging him to be prepared for Donald Trump to mention aliens in presidential debates. What a world we live in. 
Um, the other thing I say, I think for any autodidactically inclined human being who's studying this issue, disclosures already happened. Look at the evidence. The only people who dismiss UFOs out of hand as nutcases are people like my brother-in-law, who's a, you know, an endowed chair, or tenured position at the University of Tennessee. You know, he hasn't looked at the evidence. He just or Seth Showstock. You know, Seth and I have had many conversations now, going back um, uh, to 2014 when I first presented at the Contact Conference, and and. You know, I know some people think Seth is hiding uh, this great secret that he's been read in on. My impression is those scientists at SETI are so siloed into their narrow fields of study, they just dismiss. They won't look at Travis Walton. They won't look at Roswell. Um, and by the way, the best book on Roswell just came out. I wrote the foreword to it. came out a month ago, Don and Tom's book, uh, Roswell, The Ultimate Cold Case terrific place to, you know, if you're looking for gifts to give people as they begin to get interested in this and ask to read more about it, I would give them Roswell, The Ultimate Cold Case, is a great place to start. Um, the other book that I really like, and I noticed this was on uh, in the office of my uh, Pentagon briefing officer uh, friend, was Gordon Cooper's book, uh, A Leap of Faith. He was in Mercury, the last Mercury mission, last human being to ever orbit the Earth alone, was astronaut Gordon Cooper. And uh, he writes about the Foo Fighters that he experienced as a pilot in World War II. Clearly non-human created something. Uh, we thought it was German. The Germans thought it was us. The Russians thought it was who knows. Uh, but Court, Gordon Cooper also wrote about being at Edwards uh, mm. when they did a missile test and a lenticular-shaped, hard-sided craft flew circles around the mis missile. They got great uh, military uh, uh, camera footage of it. Uh, Gordon looked at the developed footage, saw, yeah, there's a flying saucer on there, sent it off to Washington, D.C., disappeared. It should have become part of Project Blue Book, disappeared. And here you have an American hero, uh, World War II veteran, a uh, guy who flew in Gemini and Mercury uh, should have walked on the moon, but retired out of NASA uh, early. Uh, writing that he had film of, of a flying saucer. Where's that film? Let's add that to what's been released. So, um, so yeah, it could happen any day. Uh, you know, and, and our Leslie and Ralph, we know they have a lot more uh, that they would have liked perhaps to have published, but the editors... Uh, you know, winnowed that way down to the hardest stuff, and they're going to continue researching. And you know, there's Pulitzer prizes in this uh, for uh, for the next big breakthrough. Victor, uh, what do you think it could be revealed in the next article? Great question. Um, if if I were to predict anything, and Knowing uh, Leslie, I've been following her for, for many, many years, uh, and her, her seminal book, uh, UFOs, Generals uh, and Government Officials, uh, go on the record about UFOs. Um, if she's uh, one of the people who are instrumental in breaking this, and I know that Leslie has moved into other areas of, uh, of sort of speculation in terms of the more transcendental uh, aspects, Aspects of our consciousness, she, she's moved into that area. And although she's not really come forward and mentioned the word extraterrestrials in any of her work that, 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 that I know of, uh, she is betwixt and between. So I think uh, what might come out, if Leslie has anything to do with it, might be um, the, 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 great, the great hint here. 
and as I mentioned uh, with Dawn and, and just now um, earlier in the program, that she just might be the first official journalist who's really plugged into this to come out as much as we may not think it and sort of mention the E word in a way that tantalizes people to understand that her work is, 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 is not just behind the scenes in terms of what the UFO craft are all about and the, and the gun camera film and all of that, that there is a more ethereal aspect to what these things are. And I think Leslie uh, may convince these editors who have really truncated some of the information to go in that direction. And it just could be part of the, the, the next, if not the next, maybe the one after that, if I could say so, where she'll broach the issue of the more transcendental uh, way this, this, this phenomenon needs to be interpreted by humanity. I think that's her next leap. And uh, I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be at all surprised if that just might be the next thing she, uh, she broaches when she writes. We've been talking about the, the sea change in the treatment that the media has given this subject. Uh, Joseph, you mentioned, uh, you know, the treatment from uh, the media after your, the, the, the citizens hearing. And again, it was the old tongue in cheek. But that's all that's all finished now. That's, you know, going forward. What do we expect to happen in the media? Do you, for example, anticipate, I don't know, will there be a, a UFO section in, in some of the major major newspapers? That's to either of you. What do you see happening with the well, media? I, well, that's, that's, uh, that's something that I've been pushing for for years, Richard. And, and I think that the, given a, a good journalistic instinct, there are a couple of people I know here in Toronto uh, that are that are really plugged into this whole issue. I don't know if um, if, if people are familiar with the work uh, of um, of one of the star reporters, Vinay Menon. Uh, I've had uh, correspondence with him, and he's written several great articles on the UFO issue. He just had one, uh, I think, uh, last week, where he talked about the same things you and I are talking about. And he mentions Chris Mellon. He mentions the To the Stars Academy. This is something unheard of in Toronto newspaper. And uh, if, if, if someone has an opportunity to say, listen, let's put, in, instead of horoscopes, let's put it, uh, or in the opinion section, let's write about it. it's time to talk seriously about UFOs and, and put up a regular column by someone who really knows what they're doing. And we're not that far away from that type of, uh, of journalistic endeavor, at least uh, here up in Canada anyways. I think we're on the cusp of that. Your thoughts, and Joseph? I think we're also in a position where there are people, um, the gatekeepers that Hal referred to, whoever they are, um, and you just need one of them to choose to claim their place in history to get to a point where they feel they have nothing to lose. Uh, maybe it's an end-of-life uh, opportunity where um, the consequences that they fear for violating the NDAs or the the contracts that they've signed or the reality that they see other people like Hal and Chris Mellon and, and Dr. Eric Davis, you know, pushing that horizon out a little bit and, and showing that it's safe out here. The, the water's fine. Come on in. I just need one of these people, um, you know, to come forward with some incontrovertible um, evidence uh, and present it to, you know, someone like Leslie or another reporter who maybe they have a personal connection with. Um, and um, and the tipping point will occur. And I think in the post-disclosure world, um, I'm hoping humanity on Earth will unite, be a little more humble, 
uh, see ourselves all on Spaceship Earth, um, be curious about what's out there and start looking to the sky and, and with wonder and excitement and living into a future of, of, of travel among the stars even for our grandchildren or great-grandchildren or whatnot. Um, and, um, and then I think we'll also look back on the last 70 years and say, Oh, yeah, they did a terrible job of covering it up. You know, look at all those people who were telling the truth. The government can't keep a secret is probably what we'll say uh, looking back on it. Um, it's only in the current environment inside the the aquarium uh, swimming in the water of all this that, it, that, that, that we can't see the truth so clearly. But I bet the light of history will say, oh, yeah, you know, it, it was out there. There was Bob Salas and... There were the, the, the Jesse Marcel talking about Roswell. They couldn't keep a secret. They couldn't cover it up. <laughs> and that'll be funny because uh, it, it sure seems like it's impossible to discern what's, what's truth from what's, uh, what's the fiction surrounding this issue right now in the moment. Joseph, uh, are you running again under the Libertarian ticket? Not this year. I kind of wish I had uh, was because it would be a great opportunity to raise the issue. I would encourage everybody out there to look at running as a Green Party candidate or a Libertarian Party. You can get on there, and it's a great way to get some media exposure for uh, things that you care about. And certainly this is an issue I care about. And, and I'm so grateful that uh, you invited me to be on this show tonight. Well, we're thankful that you spent some time with us, uh, and I look forward to speaking with you again. And uh, Victor, as always, Zeland News, Zeland Communications, and uh, people can click on your name, and and that'll take uh, on my website, StrangePlanet.ca, and that'll take you right to your uh, your your blog spot. Thank you so much, gentlemen, both. Anytime. Thank Victor. you, Richard. All right, thank you. Uh, back next week with a brand new program. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.